0: Welcome to Feed the Feminine, a podcast dedicated to reviving archetypal feminine qualities in a masculine-dominated culture. I'm your host, Vanessa Settodacato, here to share stories, experiences, and insights from psychology to nourish the feminine while also repairing what's been damaged in its long-standing cultural repression. Each episode explores themes and archetypes present in how we eat, express, and relate, and what we can do to find meaning and reach balance between the archetypal feminine and masculine. On this episode, I'm discussing the basics of the feminine and masculine, the differences between them, and how important integration of both is for each individual. Before we dive in, a quick disclaimer. The information provided here is intended to convey general information only and does not intend to replace or for a clinical need. This information is not inclusive of all experiences and perspectives, so if it does not resonate, it might not be for you. In this context, feminine and masculine are used to describe archetypal elements akin to yin and yang and are not descriptive of gender or gender roles. And now without further ado, let's jump into this episode of Feed the Feminine. So I wanted this episode to be a little bit of a catch-all and an introduction to those of you who might be new to this space, might be called to learn more about archetypal masculine and feminine, but might not really know the differences or how to separate the language of masculine and feminine from what we know socially in terms of gender. So I wanted this to be a place where people can start, even though we're kind of at the beginning of season two of this podcast, I think uh, I'm always reminding (laughs) us that this is not about gender, this is what it is about, Um, but I, I thought maybe just having a place where people can go to get started would be a good thing. So we will start with acknowledging that this language is gendered but while the language is gendered what it describes transcends gender gender is a social construct the energies of feminine and masculine or yin and yang are spiritual polarities they're ancient archetypes that are part of our collective unconscious where they do relate to gender is how we tend to socialize people to behave. In other words, when little girls are born, they are placed in roles in the family or they're invited to play with toys that tap into their nurturing side, right? They're often put in positions where they have to become the caregiver of the family or they play with baby dolls and kitchen sets and they're expected to be emotionally more sound than they are physically. When little boys are born, they're given police cars and construction trucks to play with, and they're told to be manly and be strong and to never cry, much less let anybody else see that happen. Now, this is historical, and it has changed over the years slowly, but it still remains in large portions of this society, so it's, it's foundational. And I'll refer to this society as Western and masculine throughout this episode, um, Because that's what it is. <laughs> uh, it is Western. And the masculine is, I think it becomes obvious the more you learn about this. We socialize individuals to be certain types of people based on their gender. This is one of the reasons that the transgender movement and gender non-conforming people have such a stigma around them. Because we have built a society that takes out some of the guesswork When it comes to the individualism that we like to preach about, we don't actually support individualism. We support genderism, which means you can be whoever you want. So long as I know your gender and can therefore place you in some kind of box, I can figure out what to expect from you and how I get to treat you if I know your gender this is an outdated way of being although we can understand that having a binary makes things easier it makes something that otherwise might be really chaotic and overwhelming and hard to understand and maybe on some level a threat it makes it a little simpler to kind of say you're either one thing or you're the other and once i put you in that category then i know how to be here so so i can have some empathy For the fact that that's why that tool has been used for so long. I even say it about archetypal masculine and feminine. That the fact that there's a binary really helps us understand concepts, experiences, energies that are very complex and very chaotic sometimes. So having a binary helps us kind of get a grasp on it, know how to relate to it. But I think the thing that's really important is that you can't stop there you can use it in so far as it doesn't hurt or limit other people and so we have to look at ways to maybe outgrow that idea That everybody is either one thing or the other. And so long as you conform to our expectations of that one thing or the other, then everything's cool. And I know how to treat you and instead say, You are you and I am me. And this might be a little more complicated to figure out, but let's do it because that's better than me sort of whittling you down to something that you're really not, that doesn't feel authentic to you, that doesn't feel representative of who you are. And that shouldn't tell me how I should treat you or not. We're all human beings. And your gender shouldn't determine how somebody sees you, treats you, respects you, trusts you, respects your boundaries, or implicitly just imagines you as a person in this world. So insofar as gender goes, or as far as gender goes, we're we're kind of illuminating that that's outdated. We're moving beyond that um, catch up or don't, but it's happening. And, and there's also space for us to recognize that, uh, it's limiting. And, and I think as we actually go through some of archetypal feminine and masculine, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about gender at the top of this so that we can not talk about gender as we go, because like I said, these energies, these archetypes transcend gender. But before we get to that, we can't bypass the way that it does show up socially in the way that we create gender expectations. So any gender can have a more dominant masculine or feminine. Now, it might be true that cis women and folks assigned female at birth tend to naturally have more nurturing qualities on account of the motherhood that we are primitively built for. And it might be true that cis men... Or folks assigned male at birth may be more naturally inclined to hunt and protect on account of their physical strength. But we've evolved so far beyond just our primitive instincts in modern society that we can't consider that the only influence over how we're inclined to make decisions, express ourselves, and live authentically. There are cis men who are inherently dominant in their feminine qualities, and they have had to shut that down on account of society's expectations of them and, and their suffering because of it. In fact, what we'll get to eventually in this episode is that the feminine is shut down in all of us because we live in a masculine dominant society. And that's why my focus on Feed the Feminine is to awaken the feminine, to nurture a feminine revival because that's the part of us that has collectively and thus individually been killed off but it's not to the exclusion of the masculine the masculine remains necessary it's not about a takeover it's about balance and the feminine's just been the one that's been deprived for the longest time in any case there are also cis women who are inherently dominant in their masculine for some this is a means of survival in a masculine dominant culture we receive messaging constantly That the feminine aspects of us are weak, silly, and sinful, and won't get us any true measure of success in a masculine world. So many people feed their masculine just in order to get by, but not because it's actually what they feel aligned with. On the other hand, some people are just inherently better and more connected to their masculine aspects. I think what I'm always wanting to offer or invite you into insight about is What is your dominant side of things and are you able to live that out authentically or have you been repressing and suppressing it because otherwise you fear social rejection or you experience shame or you've just not been given the model or the tools to really nurture and develop that part of you? But then there's also even if you are dominant in one what does that mean about the other have you killed it off entirely can it can it you know dance with the one that you're dominant in can you be in balance can you access both parts of yourself even if one is a little more intrinsic and strong for you these are the ways that we can kind of manage individual suffering and then also contribute to a society that is really Imbalance when it comes to this and create a little more balance. The point is that even though masculine and feminine are very binary, there really is no strict category here, certainly not in the way that socialized gender wants there to be. But ultimately, the presence of both of these archetypes is necessary, lest we move from light, which is the purposeful parts of ourselves that we like and we find energy in, to shadow the shameful parts of ourselves that we spend a lifetime trying to amputate ourselves from to no avail. So yes, feminine and masculine are westernized gendered terms to speak about archetypal energies that transcend the construct of gender. And yet I find myself wanting to continue to use those words because otherwise I feel like I'm appropriating other terms from other cultures for this work. I am a Western person and my understanding of masculine and feminine is Western. There are things that come out of Eastern philosophy that as a Western person, I am limited in really being able to understand. Eastern cultures are inherently feminine. And I, I accept as part of an ambassador for the feminine that I am not inherently connected to it. The way somebody from an Eastern culture might be because it's, a, it's about a way of being. It's about a way of existing and understanding and being rooted. And as much as I can understand and embody the feminine, I will always be rooted in Western philosophy, which is inherently masculine. And so there will always be something that I'm not able to quite grasp instinctually about the feminine. And that's okay. I'm working with what I got. We all are. There's, there's no reason to, you know, judge that. But I don't want to use other terminology for this, for understanding this work, for this work, because the Western language is the language that I am most closely associated with. I also don't think it does anybody any good for me to try to erase that language. Because it has been used in the Western version of understanding these archetypes. Instead, what I'd like to challenge us to do for anybody interested in in unlearning what they have been taught to believe about gender in the first place, that you just challenge yourself to hear things a little bit differently. And maybe what we can do is ask the parts of us that can only understand the words feminine and masculine as they relate to female and male. To sit aside for just a little while, maybe we take on a beginner's mindset as we move through this. The archetype that you are dominant in is likely to be your default way of being, of reacting, of processing, of relating. So being aware of these polarities and how they live in you and how to call on each of them in different moments is really helpful because you might need one that doesn't arrive spontaneously. And then you might struggle or feel stuck. And and we'll acknowledge right now that balance is not a constant state that remains entirely equal forever. This is not a like achieve balance and you'll be set forever. It's a constant ebb and flow and it requires a degree of mindfulness, self-reflection, just being in the moment and being in relationship with yourself and understanding what parts of you are arriving at any given moment and deciding if those are the right parts of you, if you need to call on something else. The pursuit of balance is more about cultivating both archetypes within yourself so that you're in relationship with them. You're aware of your strengths, you're aware of your instincts, your habits, and you can mindfully call on something different if that's what's needed in any moment. So let's get into some of the basic differences between them. Feminine is the archetype of spirit masculine of material from there we branch off into different realms but these are two sides of the same coin so I can't emphasize enough we need them both in order for us to be whole neither is better than the other neither is more important than the other they each support each other and they each make each other stronger lighter safer possible in the feminine realm we have states of being rather than action, which is a masculine aspect. In the feminine realm, we have irrationality, rather than rationality, which is a masculine aspect. In the feminine realm, we have a spiral, circular, or more chaotic experience, rather than a linear path of experience, which is a masculine aspect. The feminine is in the realm of the unconscious, the psyche that which is not known to us. Whereas the masculine is in the realm of the conscious, the ego, what is known to us. Feminine is concerned with the internal world, masculine, the external world. The feminine is unmeasurable, whereas the masculine thrives on measurements. The feminine receives and the masculine gives. The feminine nurtures and the masculine secures. The feminine emotes and the masculine thinks. The feminine feels And the masculine sees. Now let's pause before I continue offering aspects. We may already be starting to see where the feminine doesn't get a whole lot of trust from the ideals from Western culture. Earlier I said that feminine was about the irrational and the masculine the rational. Whenever I do this work, even still, I have to argue with the part of me that jumps to the assumption that if something is irrational, it is obviously bad. We've developed a relationship with the word irrational to imply that it is unhinged, that it is unfair, that it is absolute madness. But part of the work of feeding the feminine is realizing that you have been taught about how witchy and terrible these traits are, but that that's not actually true. Irrational things masking as rational things can be dangerous, yes. But irrational things alone are good. Irrational things are related to faith, belief, things that cannot be proven, love. Irrational things are emotions, not because emotions are invalid and off the rails, but because emotions are subjective and fluid, unseen and unmeasurable. There are certain instances where irrational things are not helpful to use which is why you may find moments when your emotions are an obstacle to making certain decisions or taking certain actions. But you will also find moments when your emotions are a beautiful and necessary part of your human experience that allows you to be in relationship with yourself or other people in the world around and above you. Why is irrational considered bad when it is at the root of faith? In my opinion... In a Christian-molded society, it might be because faith has been masculinized, literalized into a religion that has a whole lot of rules and restrictions around it, leaving very little room for the messiness and uncertainty that is faith. We have conflated faith and rationality as part of our growing up in a society that is rooted in fundamental Christian ideology, and then we called anything irrational, profane, and dangerous. I think it's time that we unlearn that. The feminine is about devotion. The masculine about discipline. The distinction is necessary. The feminine is also spontaneous while the masculine is planned. Masculine aspects of our relationship... Masculine aspects of relationship with other... Include asserting your needs, setting boundaries, initiating activities, while the feminine invites us to feel deeply, the masculine invites us to think critically, the feminine invites us to reflect, and the masculine invites us to act. The feminine is vulnerability, and therefore intimacy, abundance, imagination, creativity, intuition, empathy. Now, I want to pause again to ask a question. If you're somebody who already knew or is just now finding out that you relate strongly to the feminine, have you ever been mocked, condemned, or harmed for demonstrating any of these traits? Have you been called weak for being vulnerable? Have you been exploited in intimacy? Have you been influenced into a scarcity mindset? Have you been told your creativity is a waste of time if it doesn't earn you income? Have you been told that your intuition is irrational in the bad, gaslighty way? Have you been called too sensitive for being empathic or expressing emotions? These are some of the ways the feminine becomes repressed in individuals. In these deeply intimate experiences, whether it's with a partner or a parent, at a time in our life, a friend, when we are just seeking a sense of belonging and connection, and instead we experience rejection. And we are guilted or ashamed because of our behavior. We are judged because we are tapping into a part of us that is meaningful to us, but feared by other people. And the thing is, the people doing the judging and the exploiting and the condemning, they're doing so because their feminine has too been repressed in this masculine dominant culture. That is the thing that we are inheriting and passing on to generations and generations and generations. But we can break that cycle. The masculine is boundaries, authority, protection, groundedness, leadership, problem solving, and pursuit. All really equally beautiful traits. But traits that we might be able to admit are heavily more rewarded in masculine dominant cultures than feminine traits. The feminine is about community. The masculine about individuality. The feminine is about collaboration. The masculine about leadership. The feminine is about nourishment. The masculine about provision. Now these are all light aspects, which again means the parts of us individually or the parts of the archetype that we value. We find worth in, generally speaking, even if not culturally, because we know, even if only on some level, that they are empowering for us. Even if we feel shame for these parts, because we've been taught to, we still love them. We value them. We just don't understand why no one else does. These parts of us help us remain connected and productive and hopeful or expressive. And so they work in our best interest. When feminine and masculine are not both present and integrated, however, shadow aspects emerge. Shadow aspects are the part of us that we try to disown. We don't like that we have these traits. We try to forget. We have shame around them deeply. Shame that we believe. And then we keep secrets in order to protect that shame. We try to outrun our shadow, hide it, or deny that it is there at all. But if you stick around here on the Substack, stack, uh, there's going to be a round of rambles, which is a sort of video hangout that I do um, that's going to talk a little more deeply about what happens When we try to outrun our shadow, it's not good. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Feminine shadow aspects include apathy, criticism, passive aggression, depression, resignation, perfectionism, manipulation, codependency, desperation, self-deprivation, overwhelm, and the weaponization of love. Masculine shadow aspects include jealousy, violence, entitlement, greed, anger or rage, narcissism, exploitation, rigidity, aggression, competition, scarcity, and antisocial behaviors. So let's do a little bit of math on this. Let's take vulnerability, which is a feminine light aspect, and boundaries which is a masculine light aspect. They work really well together because boundaries keep vulnerability safe. Without boundaries, vulnerability stops knowing where one person stops and the other starts, which can lead to codependency, an aspect of the feminine shadow. Without vulnerability, boundaries only knows where the lines are drawn and never facilitates connection with other which can lead to hyper-individualist antisocial behaviors, an aspect of the masculine shadow. Both are needed in order to avoid shadow. But shadow isn't necessarily something to avoid. We want to avoid it in the sense that it takes over and chooses our behavior for us. But integrating shadow is an important aspect of being a fully formed self. And using the opposite archetype of the one you're dominant in can really help with that. In other words, I have a lot of feminine shadow aspects because I was a staunch defender of my feminine traits, but never really developed my masculine traits in a healthy way. Because I was sort of protesting against the masculine because I saw the masculine as being the oppressor of the feminine. But it isn't. It's the fact that we have collectively for, for generations chosen to only value masculine traits. That we have ended up in the shadow of it. But the masculine is not the bad guy. I didn't know that for a while. I just saw the masculine as being the voice that was telling my feminine that it was wrong. And so I rebelled against it in some way. And by doing that, I just never developed a healthy masculine. But realizing that and then changing that up, actually tending to my masculine. Then I was able to meet my feminine shadow traits in a way where I could examine them and relate to them without them taking over. I could set some boundaries. I could have some discipline. I could have some degree of responsibility and self-control over them. And it made my feminine healthier. It shifted my relationship with those shadow aspects to the point where I was no longer ashamed of them or wanting to disown them. It's not that they disappeared, but I didn't feel like I had to keep them secret. Instead, I felt like I could have compassion for them. I could understand where they came from. I could notice them and maybe even kind of laugh about my tendency to go into them. But then I could set some structure around them by using the the masculine and not allow them to take over the steering wheel. Now let's use an example of where feminine and masculine can really support each other and create a good outcome. Creative problem solving. This was how my college mentor Bruce Avery would teach us to face hardship. More than just problem solving, which is a masculine aspect, a very rational and goal-driven aspect, but it might miss a lot of possibilities. And more than just creativity, which is a feminine aspect, expansive and curious, but may get lost on the way to the goal. (laughs) These two work really brilliantly to come up with solutions that were unfathomable from purely a masculine perspective, and it gives creativity a purpose. Now, both of these can stand alone in certain situations, but they also team up really well. Now, let's consider again that list of masculine traits, because when I read that list to myself... Violence, greed, theft, exploitation, rage, narcissism, antisocial behaviors. I get a good glimpse at a culture that's been long motivated by war, advancements in consumption, and exploitation of labor. Returning to the idea of things that are irrational, we seek to discredit anything that's determined to not be rational. But then again, if we look at the way we view emotions in a masculine dominant culture, it's as if almost all emotions sadness, guilt, fear, joy, anxiety exist on the feminine side of some imaginary line, and anger exists on the masculine side, meaning. We have convinced ourselves culturally that anger is rational, and therefore not an emotion, and therefore legitimate. When we're reminded again of the ways that some of these archetypes are socialized into us based on our gender, men have called women emotional since time immemorium, all the while raging with clenched fists or nuclear threats. Violence is permissible because anger has been considered something wholly different than the emotions that we see as weak and pointless. If it's to the end of acquiring something, whether or not it belongs to us, violence is encouraged. If it's to the end of dominating others in competition, violence is encouraged. If it's to the end of protecting individual freedoms over collective ones, violence is encouraged. We are collectively in the shadow. I hate to mention Louis C.K. these days, but he made a lot of good points about the masculine in our culture, likely without even realizing it. In a bit from an old comedy special, he talks about the slaves that were tasked with building the pyramids and the White House. And he talks about the people who make our smartphones today and how their working conditions and their quality of life and their mental health are horrible. Yet we still keep consuming the phones knowing that this is going on. We consider big buildings, fast technology, and strong military to be the height of human capability, and yet it's human suffering that creates or contributes to those things. So how advanced are we really? We can use our opposable thumbs and technology and labor and strategy, but if we have abandoned empathy in the process, have we really evolved at all? Masculine-dominant society says yes because it sees empathy as a weakness, but so do sociopaths. Louis C.K. says there's no limit to what human beings can do so long as you don't give a shit about other people. And he was right. But he was also working with some shadow that he didn't see because he didn't understand his own enactment of that. But I digress. But I digress. (sighs) Empathy as a feminine trait. We don't measure our human capacity based on how we can care for other people, but that is something inherently human. Instead, we focus on how we can gain more material wealth and with such desperation that we annihilate each other in order to do it. Again, I say, we're collectively in the shadow. Now, that's not to say the tide isn't turning. Indeed, it is. Because the foundation of Western culture, colonialism, is rooted in war and theft and greed, domination, exploitation, and other masculine shadow aspects. And the feminine is coming up now and fracturing that. That's a good thing. Because destruction makes way for the creation of something new, and it seems so that the systems as we knew them are starting to crumble. My hope is that what's built in their place are systems more integrated and balanced, not just feminine systems to replace the masculine ones, because then we'll just be in feminine shadow. But something that incorporates the value of both creativity and discipline, ethical acquisition with empathy intact, boundaries that don't require violence and vulnerability that can help us come together in community to better understand and take care of each other. When aspects are shamed, condemned, or reinforced as silly, sinful, dangerous, or weak on a collective level, in the values of a society, individuals respond. We shut down parts of us that may otherwise be alive and empowering and beautiful and strong. This not only reinforces what values are represented and rewarded in society, it also creates shift in our personal and interpersonal lives. When we don't have this balance within us, we outsource the missing pieces. In part, this is a bit of what I discussed in my last episode about the authority we give. A feminine-only person may seek out a masculine-only person as an authority figure and or as a partner. That runs its own risks of outsourcing power that you should be keeping for yourself, but it also gets sticky when you realize the masculine-only person does have a feminine side too and you are not going to know what to do with it when it appears. Some relationship coaches say that women need to be strong in their feminine in order to attract a man who is strong and his masculine, and then they will have a great relationship. I say both partners, whatever their gender, need to each have a strong feminine and masculine so that they're not relying on each other to complete them. People inherently, whether dominant or not, ebb and flow in and out of feminine and masculine. That part is unavoidable. In other words, just because you're dominant in your feminine doesn't mean you never touch your masculine or never need to. You will need to in some moments in life that call for different parts of you. But the less balanced and integrated the two of them are, the more likely both of them will be shadowed versions of the aspects rather than the light. And then you rely on somebody else to do what you can't do for yourself, and it will be painful. That's no shade on being interdependent, people, we should be taking care of each other and helping each other, especially when we have an abundance. But relying on somebody for something that you're maintaining a scarcity of, that can develop into dependence, not interdependence. Here's an example. A woman who is extremely dominant in her feminine Runs on her emotions a lot. She makes decisions from her emotions in even moments when she could use a little bit of rational consideration. Side note, for those of you who know and love DBT, this is Wise Mind, the overlap in the Venn diagram where the emotional mind and the rational mind speak to each other and then allow us to access our internal wisdom. Neither one of them alone, both of them together, feminine and masculine. Anyway, this woman, she's too all up in her emotions. And part of her knows this because she's suffering and her decisions keep not working out for her if she can make the decisions at all. She tries to think her way into solutions, but because she hasn't developed a strong enough masculine, her thinking is really limited and kind of works against her. She can't access the right strategy to realize that she just needs to learn more, ask for help, gather tools, create an action plan, move toward a goal, and measure her success somehow, which are all masculine aspects. And so instead, her thinking mostly just focuses on berating herself internally from making bad choices, being too emotional, and not being able to rationalize anything when it matters. Now, I want to be clear that some of us actually really work well on making decisions from our emotions. But I think even those of us that do that have found moments where We need something else. The emotions enough are not giving us the clarity that we need. And if we don't have the masculine to call on in that moment, we're going to be really stuck and overwhelmed. So now this woman in our example here, she seeks out a partner who's dominant and is masculine. Inherently, he helps guide her in making shared decisions, even though he can only do so much to help her with her deeper individual decisions. One day he starts to exhibit signs of depression. He's emoting, he's withdrawn, and he's just trying to survive, make it through the day. His executive functioning has waned completely, and he's exhibiting feminine shadow traits, but he's only really an active harm to himself, as the depressive tends to be. She can't handle this, because now the relationship calls for her to step into her masculine. And with him unable to do his part of the household labor, organize their budget for the month, and guide her in their decision-making process, she now feels immobilized. There's no masculine within her who can activate and take on the other half of the responsibilities, so she feels helpless. And she grows upset and resentful at him for what she's experiencing as abandonment. Even though he's not chosen to go anywhere, he's just struggling. And is in a season where he needs her to take on a different role. So now she considers ending the relationship entirely because he's not able to fulfill these aspects that she's capable of fulfilling in herself, but but isn't, hasn't. Now there's no doubt that having a partner who's experiencing depression can be challenging. And obviously being the one that's experiencing the depression is rough. Of course, too. It's the roughest of all. So I'm not saying that having a balanced feminine and masculine is the grand solution to everything. But I am saying it helps reduce some pressure and keep some balance in place. And I do believe a strong partnership doesn't divide masculine and feminine aspects based on gender, or really at all, that one person is all of one and the other is all of the other. But rather it's one that understands we all ebb and flow in life. There are moments, months, and seasons when we may need to occupy a different archetype and a strong partnership is one where you can each take on different roles with a sense of choice and empowerment. So you see these these archetypes come into play when we're talking about how we are citizens to each other in a, a grander scheme, either at a community level, a state, country level, or a global level. We see the ways that they show up in our collective unconscious and therefore our individual unconscious and the ways that show they show up in our day-to-day life, how we can make decisions, how we can feel empowered to get out of predicaments and solve problems, how we can relate to other people and build up relationships and partnerships that feel secure because we ourselves feel secure. The differences between masculine and feminine are beautiful and important and they need each other. Two sides of the same coin. If we want to be whole, they both have to be there. And if you're struggling with one of them, or both of them, we don't have to judge that. But that's work for you to be doing. That is good stuff to be diving into. And if you'd like support with that, reach out to me at thehungryfeminine.com or thehungryfeminine at gmail.com or on Instagram at thehungryfeminine. I also have a sub stack uh, which you can follow. You might even be here already. You might be listening to this on Substack, but if you're not already, um, feel free to head on over there and check out my articles and my videos and become a part of the growing community with, uh, growing content. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, and I will see you again soon.